2: calling this meeting to order. Uh,
3: My name is John Mursky as chair of the Ann Arbor Energy Commission. uh, I'm, as I said, calling this meeting to order and I am participating from my home in Ann Arbor. Welcome to the May 10th, 2020 Ann Arbor Energy Commission meeting. This virtual meeting is to affect social distancing and to mitigate the spread of the COVID-19 virus. I'm looking forward to the day when I don't need to say that. We will conduct this meeting similar to in-person meetings. Uh, Commissioners, during roll call, please indicate your current address uh, or your current location, I should say. During the meeting, please remain on camera just as you would be visible during in-person meetings. Also mute your microphone when not speaking. Public comments will be via telephone only to speak during any of the two public comment opportunities, please call one of the following toll-free numbers, 877-853-5247 or 888-788-0099 and enter the meeting ID, which is 937-67516. 819 on your phone. This information is available on the published agenda in the meeting notices of the city's website and on the broadcast of this meeting on CTN channel 16 and 18 channel 99, as well as online at www82 govorg
2: backslash watch ctn. Uh, Missy, we're ready for the land acknowledgement. I
4: acknowledge that the land the city of Ann Arbor occupies is the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe and Wyandotte peoples. (coughs) I further acknowledge that our city stands, like almost all property in the United States, on lands obtained generally in unconscionable ways from indigenous peoples. The taking of this land was formalized by the Treaty of Detroit in 1807. Knowing where we live, work, study, and recreate does not change the past. But a thorough understanding of the ongoing consequences of this past can empower us in our work to create a future that supports human flourishing and justice
2: for all individuals.
3: Thank you very much. So we're now on to the roll call. Before we take the official roll call, I'd like to acknowledge um, this is the last meeting for several of our commissioners. Um, Cole Stevenson is going to be going off commission, as is Robert York, George, I should say. Uh, That's my German pronunciation. Sorry about that, Robert. (laughs) Um, And then also Chuck Hookham and Mark Levy. Uh, And I particularly like to call out Chuck and Mark. Um, Chuck served for 16 years on the energy commission. And uh, when he submitted his resignation, He noted that he thinks he was absent from two of those 16 meetings. So that is quite an exemplary record. And Chuck has really um, illuminated a lot of our discussions over the years. And um, he's going to be moving on to um, another opportunity to illuminate our climate action activities. And that is, he's going to be working part time for OSI and consulting on. The sustainable energy utility so that is why chuck is stepping down mark served for nine years on the commission at least he's served consecutively for nine years he may have even served um before that um and we thank all four of the commissioners uh for your service and we hope that you learn something and gain something out of your time on the commission, and we appreciate what you brought to the commission in terms of your comments and questions, um, as well as obviously your votes, um, because those have helped us uh, develop policies and um, help give input on programs and things like that for OSI. So I just wanted to acknowledge that um, I, we were supposed to have a new commissioner tonight, and that is tree Smith. I think I have. Do you have her cell phone number, Missy? I do. I think I could text mm-hmm. her when I'm done.
4: I, I probably can after roll call.
3: Yeah, okay. I'll do that. When you're taking roll call, I'll, I'll okay. do that. Okay. And well, if, then she is, just... if she is if she does please. join us, then we'll introduce her. Um and then uh two, two other notes. Um Travis is in Lansing for a work-related event and he's traveling. Um, it, that lasts till 6:30, and he'll join us at around a little bit shortly after that. And, um, participate um, while he's uh, driving by phone. And then uh, I got a note just a few minutes ago from Noah and Noah is going to be uh, commissioner Levin and he's going to be joining us also a few minutes late. So um, I, that's all the notes that I had. Missy, I think we're ready for the roll call. And while you're doing that, I'll, I'll um, text Therese I'll,
2: I'll call you first,
1: uh, Chair Mursky.
3: Present. Uh, taking part from my home here in Ann Arbor.
2: Excellent.
1: Vice chair, Colvin Garcia, I'm here from Ann Arbor. Thank you.
2: Commissioner Juno, here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner McComber, uh, joining from Arcadia, Michigan,
4: Ooh,
2: cheated and pre-populated and that's wrong. All right. Uh, commissioner Kerber. I think you said here from Ann Arbor, but I couldn't hear you. You're muted, Larry. We, we still don't hear you. Yep, got you. There we yep. go. Okay. Just a little late. All right, Commissioner George.
5: Uh, here from Eaton Township.
2: <gasps> Annual, we missed. Uh, Commissioner Peck. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner McCoy.
1: Here from Ann Arbor.
2: Excellent, Councilmember Briggs.
1: Here in Ann Arbor.
4: Your back here it looks beautiful. Uh and then absent noted Commissioner Stevenson and Commissioner Smith, and then uh late attendees, Commissioner Levin, Commissioner Radina, but you still have a point.
3: Missy, I checked. I at least don't have Therese's um, okay. contact information in my contact. Oh, okay. So if you could text her, that
2: would be great, just as a reminder.
3: Perfect. So um first on the agenda is approval of the agenda. Uh, we have a pretty full agenda. Um, Can I get a motion to approve the agenda and a second? Um, moved by Councilmember Briggs and seconded by Commissioner McCoy. All those in, or any discussion, I should say.
2: First, um, no. When raising their hand, we'll go ahead and take a vote. Then, all those in favor say aye. Aye. All those opposed.
3: So the agenda is approved as posted next is approval of the minutes. The minutes are posted on Legistar. I took a look at them. Can we also get a motion to approve the minutes and a second. So moved by commissioner George and seconded by commissioner McCumber. Um, all any discussion about the minutes. All those in favor,
2: say aye, aye. and raise your hand.
3: Everybody approved it, so the minutes are also approved. So um, next is public input. This is an opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes to the commission. If you are watching on CTN, call 888-788-0099 or 888 8- 8 5247 and enter meeting ID 6819. This information is also displayed on the agenda. And in the video feed, city staff will select callers that have raised their hand, one by one, using the last three digits of your phone number. In order to electronically raise your hand, and to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone. You will hear an automated message that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any background noise so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments.
6: Uh, Caller ending in 134. Thank you, Dr. Stolt and Chair Mirsky. This is Ken Garber, 28 Haber Hill Court. I look forward to the discussion of the IPCC Working Group 3 report. Let's start by acknowledging our complete failure to bend the emissions curve over the last 30 years. We've known since the first IPC assessment in 1990 what we need to do, gradually eliminate fossil fuels, and we've done the opposite. Global emissions have risen 67% since then, and it's not getting better. CO2 emissions rose 6.2% last year to the highest level ever. This at a time when we need double-digit annual emission decreases by rich countries to have any hope of staying within our carbon budget for two degrees Celsius. 1.5 degrees is almost baked in. The World Meteorological Organization said yesterday that we have a 50-50 chance of hitting that by 2026. Countries are ignoring their Paris commitments. cop 26 in Glasgow, like previous COPs, was a failure. Greta Thunberg aptly called it, quote, a Global North Greenwash Festival, a two-week celebration of business as usual, and blah, 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 end quote. Joe Biden just opened up another 144,000 acres of public land for drilling. His infrastructure bill does relatively little for transit and will have a huge emissions cost. Vehicle traffic is once again at record levels with bigger vehicles. Methane levels at record highs, industrial emissions up, commercial aviation, meat consumption, fertilizer, concrete, the list goes on. Why have we failed so miserably? Because dominant economic and political interests are invested in the status quo and work hard against change. I'm not talking about the fossil fuel industry. I'm talking about our economic system as a whole and its growth imperative. Income inequality, especially, has been disastrous for the climate. According to Oxfam, the richest 10% are responsible for half the world's consumption-based emissions. I see no will to implement most of the social and demand-side solutions identified by Working Group 3. Technological magical thinking also keeps us from taking action. Negative emissions technologies may never be scalable. While the unit costs of wind and solar have dramatically fallen, their energy density remains vastly inferior to oil and gas. So the market will not drive the transition in anything near the required timeframe. We need alternative economic models and a willingness to imagine different futures, ones that are much less materialistic but more just and more humane,
2: if there is to be any hope for us. Thank you for your comments. That's all Chair Mersky.
3: Thank you very much. Okay, so I'll move on to the body of the agenda. And the first item is a date on energy concierge services. And I see Fang is with us.
2: Let me just make Fong a co-host, here fun. Um, I'm going to give you a co-host, you can share your slides. Should, should I share my screen?
1: If you want to, I think that might be easier, unless you want me to run your slides for you.
2: Okay, um, uh, okay, I can share my screen. <laughs> We see it Great. Okay, so uh, good evening, everyone. Oh, sorry. Thanks
7: for providing me the opportunity to present the Energy Consurge Service to as, as this evening. The presentation contains uh, what the Energy Concierge service is and its vision, what lessons we learned from established programs, the current development status and the problems we identified, what are next steps to move the program forward? Lastly, we also wanted to hear your feedbacks and suggestions. So why do we need an energy conservative program? It is a critical piece of the A20 plan as it connects the first three strategies, which are renewable energy, electrification and energy efficiency improvement. It helps the residents and the businesses to reduce carbon emissions based on their situation and make money-saving strategies. To develop a work plan to implement the service, a working group of energy commissioners worked with me for months to collect and screening ideas, interview established energy conservation service programs and the platform providers. And uh, they also reviewed the work plan multiple times. I wanted to take the opportunity to thank them. So, the in the A20 plan, we define the Energy Concert Program as an easy to use service to help residents and businesses understand the best, highest impact and the most affordable methods to carry out greenhouse gas reduction activities. It also requires a high level of community outreach and engagement. Then, And we hope if the, if the program is successful, we should be able to help at least 2,500 customers by 2025. Then, um, how to make it happen with the help of the working group we defined the, the vision of the uh, Energy Conservation Service. It aims to um, yeah, it, it aims to reduce community-wide greenhouse gas emissions by helping residents and small business owners. Small business owners reduce energy use, electrify buildings and transportation, implement renewable energy, improve resiliency. Save money and improve indoor comfort through education, individualized consultations and referrals. It still contains lots of information and subjects. So to make it um, easier to understand, we call it a one-stop shop where residents and businesses and property owners can get money and energy saving tips while learning strategies to electrify their buildings and transportation. And the many ways to improve the homes and businesses and improve the indoor comfort. Because the the program is still under development and not fully completed, so with the the success measurement is to be determined. Um, to, To develop the program, We interviewed multiple uh, well established energy conservation programs. And four of them are are state or county level programs, and only one of them are utility run programs. So, after based, we learned a lot from those well established programs. And the the five key elements listed here are informations we found that determines um, determines the success of the energy conservation program. First, we need a platform to provide an easy to access information hub that can help a web a user to find the information they need quickly. Secondly, a virtual energy advisor is also very important for customers who are tech savvy and have a clear goal. It is provided through a website service where customers can input their information and the the system could generate a roadmap to guide them to achieve their goal. The third piece is people service, or we can call it one-to-one customer service. Uh, it provides energy audit and develop a customized home improvement plan depends on the situation. And the the fourth the element is the contractor coordination service because it helps the, when you need to in to provide uh up, provide an energy upgrade, finding a qualified contractor sometimes it's overwhelming. So a program assists you to match contractors with clients and perform quality control is also very important. Lastly, and also more very important, the program needs dedicated funding to support the operation. We also interviewed two well-known platform builder and energy consultation service providers. The first one is Clear Results. They can develop a customized website platform for you to to provide a virtual energy service. And if you need, they also could provide certified energy advisors to provide customer service and community engagement. The costs listed here are are the quotes they provided to us for a two year service contractor. We also Interviewed another platform operator called Bright Action. They, they provide a standardized platform service, which is great for campaign and challenge kind of services. Um, but it lacks customized service because it's a standard platform. And also they have, they control the customer's data, like say a user sign up the platform. They have access to all the users' private information. So we are worried we are worried about the security issues regarding private data management. So therefore, we after the interview, interview those established programs, we think we want a, a platform that can be modified as the concert program expands. It should also be able to provide a roadmap for planning for energy efficiency improvement and electrification. Um, Also, we want the city to have the the full control of the platform. um, Finally, we developed a structure of the energy concert service that can utilize the city's IT service, integrate multiple programs the OSI has developed and leverage the support from A20 collaborators. It starts with an energy controlled website that is under the current OSI's website. It includes energy consultation, community engagement, and education. I will talk about the details of each component in the following slide. Currently, the community engagement and education section includes multiple programs. I guess most of you are aware of the first five programs. And I would take the opportunity to update you the progress of the collaboration between OSI and Michigan Saves. Michigan Saves is Michigan's Green Bank. Which provides uh, low loan interest loans to residents and businesses on energy upgrades and the renewable system installation. So, starting last year, we worked with them to develop a, a contractor training program on electrification. Contractors who pass the training program get um, an electrification badge. They also add the electrification service as an as a service option if you want to find a qualified contractor through their contractor finder, contractor a web page. And then let's talk about the people service. Uh, people service includes, this provides a service to vulnerable customers, you know, such as for those customers who don't use uh, online service, who don't use smartphones and not tax savvy,
2: Uh, The the
7: goal is to help them to find information they need so they could uh, make informed decisions regarding energy improvement investment. Currently we have two programs under this category. The first one is Aging in Place Efficiently, and the second one is LMI, Community Development Assistance. The BRIND community is our pilot program, and secondly, programs to provide special assistance, such as solarized program, heat pump education program, and EV station installation support, and the benchmarking program. The the last two, roadmap development and appliance replacement consultation, are under development. I will talk more about it later. Then the third component of the people service is contractor coordination. We, we collaborate with Michigan SAVE's on electrification contractor training program. And, and we also hope the program could extend uh, to, to provide more service in the future. I will talk about more in, about this later. Secondly, about energy consultation, there's another component is virtual energy advisor. Uh, it is also under development. It helps uh, users to find the relevant information quickly based on their input. It can provide general information on money-saving and energy-saving tips, actions to reduce carbon emission by changing our behavior, strategies to electrify buildings and transportation. It also consolidates local resources and uh, assistance programs on energy efficiency improvement and electrification it can generate a roadmap to home electrification and the carbon reduction based on users' input. So the expected timeline are listed here. So um, our office has worked with the IT office to develop multiple custom web pages to make it work. And uh, so next, by the end of next, next month, we hope to get the testing web pages ready for internal review. And then collect feedbacks from invited users um, to test it out before we publish those websites to the public. And you may want to know what kind of uh, roadmap a virtual energy advisor can provide to customers. The, the picture on the right shows an example and it after you type in your basic information regarding your energy usage and your expectation it will generate a a roadmap like that and it shows step by step instruction and each step provides tons of information and uh, and the local resources that you can utilize so it's it's the, the target customer for virtual image advisor are those customers who are tax savvy and all who have a very clear goal. They know what they want to do. So it, this, we expect this service to be very you know, uh, convenient and I'm saving for them to find the information and assistance they want.
2: And secondly, we, oh, so, oh sorry. Then there are many customers
7: who are not tech savvy and those they don't use online service and not even don't use smartphones, especially for those senior residents. Mm-hmm. And then they need people service, one-to-one people in action to help them to make optimal decisions regarding energy upgrades. And secondly, some customers, they may want a customized roadmap to with more technical inputs to help them to transit to electrification and a net zero goal. Then we researched based on the market research we performed. We found there are many problems with the current uh, energy conservation service programs. Many of them they are project based. They provide assistance and uh, consultation service based on projects such as uh how replace HVAC system, you know, how, what options would be best work best for you. You know, if you wanted to be electrified, what option would work best for you? But however, our home is a is a whole system. And uh, it's not like a cookie cutter, one one service may not work for each one. And secondly, um we also found there the the, the the service performed by different service providers are disconnected. For, you know, for example, the, the energy auditors may not check your ductwork problem, may not tell you the roof problems, you know, how what's your indoor air quality, you know, whether your electric system is outdated and not safe. And the contractors, they may not tell you how to reach, like how to transit to electrification. And they may not tell you say, if you improve your insulation, you could downsize the HVAC system, which may save you upfront cost and a long-term operational cost. And, and also like for larger retrofit projects, if you hire a general contractor, they may not develop a whole home retrofit project of focuses on net zero emission. They may not be able to find the contractors who are qualified to do home electrification work. And they may not be aware of local programs that could provide a financial support on electrification, et cetera. As a homeowner, what, what kind of service, people service they want to get. They want to get a customized roadmap to a net zero home with cost information and the steps for implementation. They also want assistance to help qualified contractors that will help them to transit to electrification. And they also want more information, local information, local resources, like, like rebates, income qualified programs, and how to apply for them, etc. And lastly, Many people are
2: interested in buy and discounts. So therefore, for people service, when when we talk
7: about a roadmap development, we want to define the priority to priority be carbon footprint reduction. And the roadmap should be a whole home prescription for a homeowner. To electrify their buildings and transportation in a cost effective way. And it should also help to identify and assist to apply for financial incentives and rebate. And for people who need appliance replacement consultation and assistance, the people service should help to elevate the homeowner's burden to find a contractor capable of performing electrification projects. And it should also. Help apply for eligible rebates and income qualified financial assistance then after then after the market research we found that there are no energy consultation companies that can provide that kind of service as we expected so currently we we have been communicating with multiple a20 partners collaborators such as EcoWorks, Works, Work you know, and Elevate Energy, and Michigan Saves you know, to develop uh, a pilot program that could meet our expectations. And based on our interview with those established energy cons- conservative service programs, the average cost to provide one to one consultation service is about 400 to 1000 per household, so it is very expensive. And uh, um, as a city budget has multiple limitations, so we are looking for uh, funding sources to start a pilot with our a 20 collaborators. It may be state and federal grants and or other uh, funding sources that we haven't, you know, we, we need to apply for. So the timeline will while we depend on the funding resources and the demand of the service. So this
2: concludes my presentation and now it's the time for questions and suggestions. Thank you. Thank you, Fang. I'd like to open the floor for comments and questions. So I have a few questions, if I may,
3: if no one else does. Carlene, you're talking, it looks like you, oh, here we go. Sorry about that. Erica, go ahead, and then I think Carlene, but I'm not sure. Yeah, go ahead, Erica.
1: I was gonna wait, mine was, (laughs) it's a great presentation. Um, Thanks for all that information, it sounds wonderful. Um, I was, I didn't see any hands raised, I was just gonna um, make a suggestion potentially for the website if it works out, I was also, wondering, I know the city's thinking of updating its website, I don't know if that's happening in conjunction with this project, or if um, since this is like such an amazing website, that's kind of built in as a sub website to the city. So I was kind of curious just a little bit more about that. And then I had a potential recommendation to Well, yeah the the, the program is a separate
7: program. It's not related with the city the whole city website updates. it will still stay
8: with the osi website
4: except that we are the pilot uh one of the pilots in the website update that the whole city is doing so parks is one and then osi is one of the pilots to to make sure that these kinds of functionalities can be built into the entire
2: overhaul of the website
1: that's great um, and the recommendation if it happens to work out i know a lot of folks are um, if they're thinking about doing these sort of updates, if they're homeowners, they may be thinking about it in conjunction with sort of remodeling. And so um, some folks come at this really interested in energy and some people come at it interested in aesthetics and just how things look. And so if there's a couple of, you know, as, as you build up a kind of portfolio, it might be interesting just to have, you might draw on a different clientele by just kind of showing pretty kitchens or pretty different things. Um, not a big, <laughs> a huge recommendation, but just something to, to ponder moving forward. Thinking about how people might enter into this conversation, I guess.
7: Yes, you're right, exactly. So that's, that's exactly one main purpose of the website, provide a place you know, for people to engage on, share their story and
2: also engage the community.
3: Commissioner Calvin Garcia,
2: hi, uh,
9: thank you very much, um, Commissioner Mursky. Uh, great presentation. Um, it was a really a lot of work that you're doing on this program, and um, it's a it's a it's a huge project um, as you see it unfold, and very complicated. And um, I just have a couple of um, of questions. The first one has to do with the scope of the of, of the cost. Uh, as you were saying at the end of your presentation, the expense of the 400 to 1,000, you know, estimate per customer uh, to to go through the whole process is is really big. If you're going to be meeting the 2,500 satisfied customer goal um, by 2025, so um, you know, I'm glad that there's going to be a, a virtual concierge uh, to help to help you know folks along the pipeline and um it, it it seems like there are ways to build in efficiency using using established you know programs in the country and you know, it looks like you did some research and everything but i just it, you know like the more you can utilize information um I don't know if you call it off-the-shelf pro- off the programs or other programs that are really successful right now. I would recommend you know being open to that. Um, what are what's the uh, the support for um, electric vehicle charging installations that the city plans on offering?
7: Um, I think we uh, in our uh, current sustainability and me webpage, you will find information regarding EV charger installation. And uh, so if you need more assistance, you could uh, contact our uh, energy uh, advisor, um, Yeah, So he, he will provide you more information and also will help you to go through details.
9: Okay. So basically it sounds like there will be multiple uh, contact points then with an EOSI uh, for the energy concierge based on the... Um, the area of electrification, or or or, or how does that work? Is that going to be one contact point?
7: Well, that that would be ideal if we provide a one point contact. But well, however, because current currently it's still at the beginning phase, and uh, in our office, then different people have to have have you know his or her own expertise. So that's why we we will point people to it depends on the subject like solar wise you know renewable energy will point point the customer to
2: to really us yeah so it depends okay all right yeah. And uh, i okay. think well when if the program grows you know
7: we if we have lots of you know incoming inquiries every day then then we probably need to set up a point of contact and uh and uh, a dedicated uh, like a Multiple dedicated personnel to to handle to provide customer service, but currently, uh, I think we the workload is okay for us to handle internally. This is so it's more.
9: yeah yeah, and then just one last last. Um, suggestion or request, actually, Uh, maybe I'm, I'm just inviting myself, but I would like to be and it might be a great idea to invite the entire Energy Commission to be on the test in the test group for the new website. Thank
7: you. That's, that's a very nice offering for us. Thank you.
9: Yeah, we could we could really work it, you know, and give you some good feedback between all of us, we have our different areas of you know, of, you know, we could create little
2: scenarios for ourselves and then test it very very well for you. Thank you very much. Other comments or questions? So I have just a couple. Um, First of all, um, the
3: roadmap that you showed, um, seems to start with a home energy audit, or at least. um, And is, is is that indeed the attention that basically anyone that uh, approaches OSI, or at least a significant portion of the people would start with a home energy audit? And is that one of the reasons why the cost is 400 to $1,000 per person? I'm trying to understand why you think it's going to be 400 to 1,000, and if it, a home energy audit is a part of that, that would make sense to me, but as, otherwise I, I, I have questions like Carlene did, of where that number comes from and what, just, what, what makes that up.
7: Oh, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Um, I should clarify the cost at, estimation per household is for one-to-one people service. That's also a lesson we learned from interview you know, other energy conservation programs. For example, the Boulder counties and energy smart program, that they that they they also think it's the one-to-one people service is, is too expensive. And that's why they wanted to move more people to use virtual energy advisor, because it really depends. Some people they are tax savvy and they know what they wanted to do and all they have a very generic question. So if they go to the website and the, the website can navigate them to find the information they want, then they don't need to make the phone call or email, you know, email uh, customer service representative to ask the question. It will greatly save the cost. And uh, I didn't put that cost in into consideration right now. And then for one-to-one people service because even if it's you know if provided by internal staff or or hire a third party energy advisor, you know that the time we have, the salary, the times you know build up quickly. as also depends on the project. So if it's like a big project, it may involve more time, more hours. And if it's like an old home, very complex retrofit project, it also may involve more hours. So. So, but basically that's their estimated average cost if you provide one-to-one people service. Okay. Thank you.
3: Another question that I had was with regards to confidentiality. Um, So you mentioned that was one concern with the Bright Action platform. And I'm wondering um, if that's a concern, uh, how is confidentiality protected Um, with the Ann Arbor, um, developed platform. So presumably, um, in order for someone to provide a good consultation services, they would have to have basic profile information, um, about the user. And if a home energy audit was done, that would have to be shared. So there's, there's certain information, how many people potentially are in the household, what's the household look like, how many rooms? Um, is it a gas furnace, is it a, whatever it is, what are the starting conditions, um, how is that information going to be inputted into the Ann Arbor platform? And if so, how is the confidentiality then going to be handled?
7: So, um, this question, I think, thank you, you know, I think I should uh, uh, check with IT office, you know, how they handle the, you know the confi confidentiality and uh, because now um it it is it is not my area so I really don't know you know what 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 answer the you know the be and uh, and then I think for for people to people service and uh, because it's very likely we we may outsource it to a third party to do it if given we have no, we have secured funding support and customer demand. So that would be another set of um, agreement legal agree- agreement between the city and the service provider. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, does anybody else have any comments or questions? So I, I, I would just like to close by saying
3: um, my, my, my Frank opinion is, is that I think there's some fundamental misunderstandings about the bright action platform. And I'd like the opportunity to um, potentially um, talk with um, you and Missy about what you're doing and the bright action platform and whether or not there is indeed an opportunity to merge the efforts um, and um, some of the, some of the concerns that you expressed on your cover page um or on your early early page um indicates to me that there's some misunderstanding i've spent some time um in in recent weeks looking into their site more closely and so um i will circle back um with the two of you after the meeting
4: happy to have that that call although we've had a demo and i i know you did i i'm not a, i'm not super excited about it, but happy to have that follow-up conversation.
3: I, I realize that. And, and as you know, um, I was not able to participate in that demo. Um, so I, I'd like to have an opportunity to, to at least share um, what, what my
2: understanding is and what the basis of that understanding is with you, Commissioner Kerber.
10: Yes, uh, um One of the—I th- don't want to get too much into the weeds—but one of the concerns that I would have is when you are providing connections to various services and providers of various capabilities. Um, how are you going to go about doing the vetting of those first of all, and then how are you going to capture the actual experience of the participants through the whole process? So at the end of the day when new people come into the system they will be able to see what the scorecard has been in terms of different providers in providing quality service in terms of how they view the the knowledge of the, product, the provider the the cost of the provider the, and other issues that relate to the quality of the solution
7: thank you that that's great that that's a very great question actually it's we are considering that part. And that's why we we are uh, developing a program with uh, Michigan Saves. You know, as you know, Michigan Saves has a very good, good relationship with contractors, and they certify contractors who perform, you know, energy saving projects and the renewable projects. And so now we have developed developed the energy. Uh, residential electrification training program. You know, like people who complete the training program will get the badge, electrification badge to differentiate the contractor from the rest of contractors. So this is the first step. Actually, we are we are uh, developing you know, what what the next step would be. You know, say if a customer, you know, through our concerted service, wanted to do energy. Uh, retrofit projects, then we can refer them to Michigan Saves. Then Michigan Saves could, you no, know, it it, dep- it It really depends. We I'm just we are I'm just in talking about some possible possible ways to work it out. Like say Michigan Save could coordinate the, con- the matching the contractors with with customers, and then they could also co- coordinate the you no. Know, uh, control the quality and collect feedbacks from the contract from the customer. And as Michigan said, they they are also providing the financing service, so they know the cost of those those bids, and so they could serve as a data collection point for us. Then we could work together to for you know the service provided by different contractors and there's a
2: cost, average cost per project, you know, et cetera. So that's all on the development. Thank you. Okay, Any anyone else? Okay, thank you, Fang, for your presentation.
3: And, um, We will now move on to the next agenda item. And let's see, where's my, here we are. Um, The next is an update on the green rental housing
2: program from Zach. All right. Good evening, commissioners. Thanks for having me back.
11: Good to see you all. Um, I'm, I've got some choppy internet and a whiny cat. So give me a holler if you can't see anything or if I drop off, but otherwise I'm gonna assume you can see. Um, uh, so I gave a presentation recently about what uh, the proposed policy was for the Green Rail Housing Program. And I just wanna give you an update on what, uh, where things stand on that and the progress that has been made um, and what has yet to be done. Um, so quick review of the policy elements that I presented to you last time, uh, were these four items. The first is that there's a requirement um, that would be in place that as old appliances wear out and need to be replaced, that they are replaced with energy efficient uh, appliances. That's, the metric is Energy Star uh, rated. Um, the second is that the unit as a whole needs to meet a certain efficiency minimum, so either through a prescriptive pathway or a performance pathway, and there is an efficiency disclosure. This isn't anything new or groundbreaking, but it would just says that the um, the results of the efficiency pathway element will be made public, just as the certificate of compliance already is. And then finally, there is the um, uh, there's a, a, a component that allows tenants to do some basic weatherization in their own units. So, um, since the last time I presented to you, we launched a um, public comment period that included a survey that was both in, we used both Microsoft Forms and A2 Open City Hall, um, and it was open for a month. Um, and we, we collected responses from that. We also, during that time, gave two public presentations that one was recorded. You can find a recording of that on the city website. Uh, The URL is at the bottom of the screen. Um, And we have had a few uh, one-on-one meetings with landlords to um, discuss ideas and get some direct feedback about the the policy as a whole. Um, Digging in here to some of the responses um, that we got, um, the Overall, this is kind of how the uh, respondents broke down. Um, So about 60% of them were landlords of some sort, either they owned a building or they managed a building. Um, And then the other, uh, and then a quarter of them were tenants. And then there was a handful of folks that um, either declined to respond or um, they were not one of those two um, uh, categories. So, for the tenants, we had very few that were on-campus tenants. Most of them were off-campus. So what did they have to say? Well, um, we asked questions about each of the different policy components. And this here, I, I'm not intended intending for you to be able to read the fine print there. But this is a response of the performance pathway. And what I want to illustrate here are sort of um, the the range of the responses that we got. This is a Likert scale. On the left is strongly disagree. All the way on the right is strongly agree. And so uh, these each one of these bars you see is a response to a question specifically about the performance pathway. These are the responses that we got from landlords. And a couple of things that I want to point out are that First of all, we, every response is represented here. Um, so they, they were across the board in their responses. Um, but the other thing I wanna point out is that the, the heavier things are either strongly disagree on the far left or disagree, which is that orange. Um, there were a few, um, I mean, there's a notable amount of neutrals or I don't knows, um, and that's the gray in the middle. Um, that tells us that um, there's some clarity to be improved upon. Um, but uh, in looking at the disagreement with um, uh, some of these responses, and just for example, they some of these things here are saying, this policy is applicable to all types of rentals in Ann Arbor. Um, this is an appropriate measurement of energy efficiency. It's clear what action is required to comply with this policy. Um, and so, across the board, landlords um, uh, were gave every response um, and and disagreed a little bit. Now, contrasting to that, are the responses that we got from tenants f- to the same question. And if you look at that, there are no strongly disagrees, very few disagrees, and a lot of um, agreement. Um, this uh, suggests that. Um, the tenants see value in this. Um, it doesn't mean that it is the best uh, value, but uh, it also, you know, there is that split incentive. Tenants have a different investment in their units that they live in than the owner of the property um, for, for very clear reasons. But um, these are kind of, this was a theme that we noticed across all responses. And so I'll show you a couple of more examples here. Um, Here are the responses side by side. These are both for the prescriptive checklist. So this is the other efficiency um, component. The bar chart on the left is the landlords. You can see a lot of that dark blue on the far left. This again, this is a Likert scale. So it's strongly disagree on the left. And then towards the middle of the screen here is the strongly agree. Um, And you can see that um, property owners and managers um don't want um this or they have uh comments for improvement on this um and it's about the opposite for tenants Uh, we they um most of the tenants agreed that this is a policy that that should be implemented i'll just show you a couple others here this is one more this is for the appliance efficiency component that requires energy star rated appliances um this one is interesting um because again like all of them uh the landlords represented every response um type the tenants not so much um this is another example of the tenants not there was no tenant that responded strongly disagree on this one um and that we saw that in a lot of different responses um landlords are across the board um so what does, what does that mean? Well, the uh, primary things that we can pull from this is that that split incentive is very clear. Um, and um, that is going to require us to continue to do as much outreach as possible with landlords and tenants to really understand um, their standpoints. Because it's not saying that one is right and the other is wrong. It's just saying that there are different interests uh, at play here. Um, Overall, we saw that tenants are in favor of a green rental housing policy and landlords gave every response, they they were across the board, but um, generally that's where we saw the most opposition to this was among the landlords. Um, There were those gray areas and I think that the gray areas and I do also believe that some of the opposition can be resolved through increased clarity and education outreach. Um, And making sure that everybody who is impacted by this policy has uh, is very clear on what's expected of them and um, what uh, the reasoning for this policy is. Um, Overall, I do uh, conclude that there is a need for this green rental housing um, policy because the landlords were all over um, and some some agreed and because the tenants do feel um, in general generally in favor of it. Um, I, I think that there still is a, a need for the green rental housing program. So um, what has happened now um, is we're, we're continuing to digest some of the comments. There were a lot of open fields for f- uh, free text in the survey. And so we are pulling themes from those responses. Um, there are suggestions in those comments. There are some constructive criticisms in those comments. And so we're, we're piecing those together to um, identify commonalities among them and address those through any potential revisions that come forth. And we will do that in conjunction with the comments that we get back from the city's legal department who currently has this policy in front of them um, and are reviewing it. So once we get... Those, those back will make any policy provisions uh, needed. Um, there are also um, some property managers and property owners right now who are doing a dry run of this um, policy. So they are putting their units through the paces to give us direct feedback in terms of how well their units performed and you give us a metric by which to gauge if this policy is attainable um, for landlords. And so uh, we're, we're using as, as much information from that as we can. It's just that we're not gonna record any of these results. This is just for informational purposes for, for the city so that we can make this policy better. So all of those things together, we'll make any revisions that we need. Um, we will represent that to the task force um, to get any final feedback from them before moving it along through uh, this body uh, in, in the form of a resolution and then on to council uh, for their vote um, we will uh, I mentioned that we will reconvene the task force for that presentation and we are also going to uh, address both that education and clarity um, but also get more feedback through the um, Further engagement uh, with one on one uh, partners. So, the Washnut Area Apartment Association, uh, we want to get in front of them and hear their direct feedback um, in in case any of them were unable to take the survey. We're going to get in front of the Ann Arbor Tenants Union. Um, There are a number of university partners, the Intercooperative Council. A lot of these bodies were represented um, in the task force, and uh, we just want to leverage those uh, networks that were that were represented at the task force, but that we may not have heard from directly. And so we wanna give them opportunities uh, to give us as much feedback as possible. So um, so that's, that's where things stand right now for the Green Rental Housing. Um, just a quick update, but I am happy to answer any questions that you may have.
3: So uh, Commissioner McCoy,
12: Thanks, Zach. Um, I think this was helpful. Um, I don't think it's surprising that landlord, some of the landlords might be against something that's going to cost them money <laughs> to benefit tenants. Um, I'm curious if you asked um, the question in the survey, if the person, like if they were owning properties, if they owned like a large number of properties or a small number of properties, because based on some other housing work I've done in the city, it seemed like there were differences between the response of small scale landlords and large scale landlords. And a lot of that was driven by like their ability to, to do things. Um, so I'm curious if that was a question you asked, or you know, if not, I think that's something I would consider when doing additional outreach to landlords.
11: Yeah, Commissioner McCoy, that's a good question. And one that also came up during um, our analysis process, um, which is still underway. Uh, we did not ask that intentionally at the get-go because we didn't want landlords to feel like they would be outing themselves by providing that information. Um, I, if I were to do this again, I think I would have asked that question and made it optional um, because I I agree that that information could have been useful, um, but it was not
2: gathered during this.
3: Over breaks.
1: Thanks. Um, I was wondering. I, I don't think you said how many respondents there were for the surveys so or the percentage, but I was curious what the total response rate was.
11: Yeah. Um. Between the two, it was um just shy of a hundred.
2: Okay. Thanks. Commissioner
10: mm-hmm. Kerber. Um. Yes. I don't want to jump too far into to the implementation once again, but one of the things that I always think uh, when i come into the problem from the landlord's point of view this just has this feeling like there's there's always a, a carrot and a stick and this kind of feels to me like a stick i mean is there a perception of how this program might make this something that is more of a carrot for the people who are participating the people that are landlords that are that are trying to do the right thing and see the benefit from a business point of view of doing the right thing, as opposed to just more costs or more inconvenience or more regulation or whatever it might be.
11: Yeah, uh, fantastic. Um, There are a couple of ways that we are exploring both options. So there are some incentives that currently exist in in the current uh, rental housing inspection process to incentivize um, early compliance among landlords. And we are um, looking to pursue those similar avenues for the green rental housing program. Uh, More specifically, those entail uh, if a landlord is fully compliant upon their first um, recertification inspection, then the, uh, the expiration date of their certificate is extended by 12 months. So. They get three and a half years instead of the two and a half years. That means fewer inspections, fewer interruptions, um, and less expense on their behalf. Um, there is uh, one of the um, engagements that I mentioned are the community. I'm sorry, the university partners. And there are already ways that some off-campus landlords are highlighted through that. And we are exploring ways to highlight those who are compliant with the Green Rental Housing Program. Um, We have met um, part of that, in pursuit of that, we have met with a third party software um, provider who would highlight those for us. Um, It's part of a broader, Um, project that could, if we do end up pursuing it, could um, offer a very easy user interface for tenants. One of the things that we, uh, without getting too into the weeds on it, one of the things that existed with the current program, uh, which we are transitioning away from, is that it's difficult to find inspection history information and certification information. And so this would create a much easier user interface so that prospective tenants could find information on their um, uh, on the units that they're looking at and that included in that with this third party we would highlight certain things like the green rental housing program so so we're trying we are uh, trying to find as many ways as possible to provide as carrots um, and, um, that's also part of the reason we want to meet more with the Washington area apartment association and other landlords is to continue to hear as much feedback as possible from them.
2: Thank yeah, thanks. I just wanted to
1: pull up the, um, the percentage rates before I asked this follow-up question. I was, since there were, I wonder if you've considered going back and just getting, um, Machine for a little bit more feedback, um, especially if there was, since there was pretty low response rate from folks who are um, student renters, um, and overall considering the majority of folks who live in Ann Arbor are renters, um, relatively low response rate from from tenants overall. Um, I think they're I'm supportive of this policy, but I think there's a lot of conclusions being drawn out of this data that um, it would just be nice to see a few more tenants in there um to make sure that that holds up as more kind of feedback is is secured if i don't i don't know this may be a hard one to you know i don't know how robust the outreach was if it was r- really robust and this is what you got this that's great you know if, if it was um you know I, so i guess question if, you, if you're thinking about trying to secure any more feedback from folks.
11: Absolutely. Um, you're, you're spot on that the tenant interaction is a tough nut to crack, so to speak. Um, um, we are looking to do more engagement, certainly before proceeding, once we get, uh, some of these, uh, revisions dialed in, um, as necessary, we, I think are leaning right now towards more quality, um, over quantity. And so that might involve more, um, uh, in the likes of focus groups or um, interviews um, to understand truly how this is going to impact people's lives and and what it, their motivations are. Um, so um, I, I'm not saying that a, a broad survey is off the table, and in fact it, that might be accompany a lot of the continued outreach that we are are, are going to do. Um, but I think right now we we want to understand a little bit more um, so that we can make sure that this is as dialed as possible.
2: Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Other questions or comments? Zach, I have a few. Um,
3: The program is still envisioned as an, in effect, a mandatory program, right? You have to get certified in order to get your certificate of Um, whatever the right term is, not occupancy, but that's, it's not, this is not voluntary, correct?
11: That as proposed, correct.
3: So it would be mandatory. Yep, okay. And then um, in the last meeting, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the prescriptive path and um, the evaluation and the points and things like that. Um, You know, there was a group of us that had a side meeting with you. Is, is that prescriptive path um, being dramatically changed at all or being reviewed, including like the threshold, I think it was 65 points. What's, what's the status on, on the prescriptive pathway or is that also sort of um, in under reevaluation?
11: Um, it's under reevaluation. I don't want to say too much too soon. Um, we're still digesting some of this information um it's looking as though it will see some revisions um we some of those gray areas that we got back on those responses uh are reason to continue uh fine-tuning this tool um i would rather see either strong opposition or strong um support for this Um, the, the fact that there were, was any gray area at all says that we need to do some more work on that. So I I think that there will be ultimately some changes made to that. Um, that is also an opportunity where, um, where we can work more with the landlords, um, Perhaps uh, one idea that we got from the feedback was to phase in uh, the requirements that gives the landlords a little more flexibility in terms of the timelines by which they need to comply. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see how that pans out. Um, certainly any changes will be publicized and that they will be reviewed. Um, and that's what will be presented to the task force and beyond. Um, but yeah, at this time, uh, no changes have, have been solidified, but there probably will be some, yes.
2: Okay. Anyone else?
3: So I have a question about next steps for ISU and Missy. We have on the agenda tonight, um, actually it's not the next point, but it would make sense I think that we consider it now, which is the second reading of the Green rental housing resolution. And I'm wondering with so many questions. Um, does OSI plan on coming back and say, after these additional rounds with legal with um, different groups, um, this is now the final or the near final plan? Um, or do you want us to take a vote on the resolution with a lot of open questions in the air? What's the what's the intent with the agenda? and?
2: and' with the resolution specifically yeah. yeah um
11: sure i um i i guess I would have looked to you uh chairman Mirsky, for for your advice um considering that there could be some changes um I would say that there 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 likely will be some changes um I just don't know what to. To what extent? So they could be very minor. Um, I, I, th- I think I would look to your advice on um, what should proceed. I would love to see a resolution go through, um, but I, I also would like, like I said, I would like strong support or opposition, you know, <laughs> from this body as well.
4: And I think I would be more inclined to hold, especially because we haven't seen legal final guidance on this. And so while it may just modestly be tweaked based on public input and what we're hearing. We can do fundamental shifts when they look at something. So it's probably, I mean, if you love it and you're like, just do whatever you can legally do and run, we would gladly take a resolution of support. But at the same time, I think Zach and I talked about it earlier and we plan to bring back whatever
2: we get from legal and its final form. So you can actually see the language of the ordinance.
3: So we can we can formally introduce the resolution with a motion again in a second, or I don't know, how do people feel? Um, I have some thoughts, but I'm wondering um, if others uh, have strong opinions one way or the
2: other. Go ahead, Commissioner
12: McCoy. I think I personally would prefer to wait to see like what the feedback is, you know, even if it ends up being minor, just in the event that it is major or or that legal has some, you know, serious concerns, I think it would be prudent for us to wait. If there isn't a reason that we need to, you know, vote
2: today. Anyone else? So that that's my,
3: uh, leaning as well. Um, my sense is, and maybe we can take sort of just a show of hands. Um, about commissioners, I mean, does everybody on the commission still strongly support the idea of a green rental housing program with certain requirements in order that, uh, landlords get a certificate to be able to rent their properties is, is that have very, very strong support among commissioners. I mean, I, I, I very much support that. Does anybody have strong reservations? So I think Missy and Zach, you have uh, full support from the commission to go full speed ahead. Um, and um, But we'd like, I think um, this catch ball process I think is is appropriate. You threw the ball out in the last meeting. Um, there was some comments. Um, you've been playing catch ball with landlords and tenants um, since that meeting. And um, you're gonna be doing that with legal obviously. Um, I think one more round of, of catch ball, so to speak. Um, before we then issue um, our support. I think that's also more effective, frankly, um, when it goes then to council. Um, if other council members um find out that we voted on uh the resolution here in early May and uh, it goes up to a vote. I'm just gonna make up a date in August or September. People will wonder, well, what changed in between? And you know, how did that potentially affect how Energy Commission Um, saw that, so I think it's also going to better equip OSI and our liaisons to, to defend, um, the, the, uh, approach when it comes up to a vote for, for all accounts. And I can imagine there will be some of those people that are in the strongly disagree camp that will probably be voicing concerns, um, through the process, um, as it moves forward. And so. The, the, the stronger position that we have and that's based on a, a good understanding of what the final or near final proposal is gonna be, is gonna be more effective for for all of you. Anybody have, see it differently?
2: I don't see
3: anybody, so um, let's leave it that way. And um, we, we wish you all, um, Godspeed, put it that way. <laughs>
2: Okay, so um, the next
3: on the agenda is a presentation on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and um, Edie and Peck are going to lead us through that.
2: So- Edie, do you want to run slides or do you want me to run them for you? I don't mind, That I think okay. that'll be okay. Please see All right. here you go. Okay, can everyone see that? Yes. Okay. Well, thanks, everyone. Um,
8: we had thought that it might be worth touching on this new report since this is the um, updated AR6 that we'll be seeing later this year, and it's been several years since the IPCC did such a full and comprehensive report. So um, since this is relevant to a lot of our of those topics we talk about here, I thought we would take a little bit of time to to walk through this. And I guess I'll actually turn it right over to Peck to kind of give us a little bit of background on IPCC if he is feeling so inclined. (laughs) Um, So, Peck.
13: Sure, Uh, the IPCC has been around for quite a while, um, since the 80s. Um, And it is a group of about 195 countries, as it says here. Um, and that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's a bunch of policymakers. And uh, they actually asked scientists to periodically provide updates on the state of the science. And that's what everyone usually calls the IPCC, even though it's uh, not, not technically the IPCC. And so we write, uh, the scientists write uh, these reports, and they come out every six or seven years, as I said. And uh, Now they come out with four assessment reports each cycle. Um, The first one being the physical basis of climate change, what's happening in the climate system. Thanks. Um, The second one being um, what's going on with impacts, vulnerability and adaptation science. And the third focused on mitigation or stopping it. Um, And then that's the third one. And the fourth one is a synthesis of all of those. And we've now seen for the sixth assessment, we've seen uh, three of those reports and the synthesis doc is gonna come out later in the summer. Um, so we have a lot of new science. And what's really remarkable in these um, is the fact that, well, actually I'll take a step back. Um, hundreds of authors, uh, scientists to work on climate science uh, and reviewers uh, most working um, in a volunteer basis to produce these. Um, and they are heavily peer reviewed uh, by other scientists as well as uh, the governments and the policy makers and basically anyone who wants to. You don't really need to have any credentials to peer review, um, but the system tends to keep those folks out of the picture um, because it's very technical stuff. Uh, and, each of these reports has a summary for policymakers, which tends to be the most accessible parts. Uh, and then uh, literally hundreds of pages of quite technical uh, synthesis of what's come out in the last you know, four or five years. And um, climate science has really exploded. So there's a lot of information. Um, this time around, Actually, I'll just be quiet because I think that's what you're after. Right? It is just sort of that background.
8: Yeah, that'd be great. Um, And and then you know, if you want to run through those first two different groups, we have a few of the headlines there as well.
13: Yeah, well, um, working group one, which is the physical basis, um, you know, it's been back in the fourth assessment. This is the sixth assessment. In the fourth assessment, um, which I helped uh, produce. Uh, we were the first ones to say it was unequivocal um, that humans have uh, warned the planet. Um, And with each successive report, it's more unequivocal, (laughs) which is kind of uh, crazy. Uh, And uh, it's also more unequivocal the range of impacts that we now can attribute to humans. So we have, as it says here, just widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, the ocean, the cryosphere, it's all the ice and the biosphere. So we really see climate change everywhere around the planet now, very clearly. Um, It's also uh, in terms of what's affecting people, uh, it's mostly these extreme climate events, whether they're heat waves, uh, droughts, um, more extreme precipitation, stronger storms, um, and things like that. Uh, very clear that climate change is now affecting all of those. Um, the only thing that is still kind of open to some debate that people talk about a lot, and actually I was just tweeting on it today, are tornadoes. Um, it's still unclear uh, some of the connections between climate change and tornadoes, although I think last December we saw one effect that everyone agrees is happening, which is we're getting more cold season um, thunderstorms and, and uh, tornadoes, and at higher latitudes. So, you know, Iowa and Minnesota getting tornadoes in December has never happened before, and that's thanks to climate change warming the planet. Um, then if we think about a working group, too, um, you know, there's just so much more information about impacts, and the reason for that is the impacts are really piling up. And they're piling up faster. This is, to me, is the biggest story in the new IPCC, you know, from comparing it to the the previous cycle, is that the uh, impacts are piling up and and coming faster at lower temperature than scientists thought they would, Uh, you know, the community uh, thought they would. Uh, This means, the implication of that is we really do want to cap the total amount of global warming and all the change that comes with that at a lower temperature, if at all possible. And in Paris, uh, a few years ago, nations agreed we would try and cap it at 1.5 degrees C. And slowly um, everybody has come around to let's see if we can do two degrees C. Uh, 1.5 is is kind of impossible at this point. Uh, It's not impossible, but it's knowing humans, it's impossible. And so uh, if we were all to meet our Paris agreements now, all the countries of the world uh, meet our commitments. We would warm the planet to 1.9, um, but most countries of the world, including the United States, are not meeting our commitments. And for those of you who keep track, what we really needed, uh, Biden, Biden was proposing the right thing that would have gotten us on the right track to meet those commitments, but he needed the Build Back Better bill to get passed, uh, and that failed. And so we are not going to meet our commitments, unless that happens in, you know, the Democrats get an increased uh, majority or at least maintain a majority um, in November in Congress. Um, Need One more Senate Senator, I guess. Um, And then uh, Edie summarized some other really important things, Um, but I wanted to highlight that what we see in these reports now is a lot more uh, confidence estimates that are in the very high to extremely high category. Um, that's really different from previous reports. Um, so it's really clear now that even 1.5 is going to cause serious threats. Is going to cause irreversible change in the in the planetary system. Uh, you, if you really, the poster child for that is what's happening to coral reefs right now. Yeah, you know, we are wiping out the coral reefs of the planet. Um, not all of them, but, you know, it's just a matter of time. Uh, they're going pretty fast. Uh, and it's just because the oceans are absorbing most of the heat and therefore um, really baking the coils. Uh, so everything else you can kind of read here, uh, these positive feedback loops um, are the reason I think things are changing faster than the scientists thought. It, they would, in other words, the positive feedbacks, the amplifying feedbacks are are more strong than we thought they would be. Um, and the dampening feedbacks or negative feedbacks are harder to come by in the climate system. So we don't see a lot of the negative feedbacks. We see a lot of positive feedbacks. And the positive feedbacks are are amplifying things more than we thought they would. How's that?
2: Yeah, thank you, Peck. Um, So I
8: guess just to to give a little bit more background context, too, as Peck mentioned, um, lots of people do contribute as peer reviewers, and I was able to contribute as a peer reviewer on this draft and on this working group report in 2021 and this year. Um, So that does not make me an expert on it. It is a 3,000 page document spanning all of climate science, but I, you know, have (laughs) been uh, hanging out with this document for a little while now. So Wanted to give that background, and I guess the other caveat I'd say today too is there's going to be a lot of text on these slides. I tried to just copy and paste directly from the report to avoid, you know, uh, spinning what they're saying or what the findings are saying. I'm also trying to summarize. And apologies if you don't feel like you have adequate time to read all the text. You'll have access to the slides, of course, and it's all in the report itself. So thank you. Um, okay, so some of the broad trends from this mitigation um, report that we are seeing: uh, emissions are continuing to rise and That has occurred in the last decade, although it has been at a slightly slower rate than the decade before it. And of course, we also know that contributions have varied regionally. Um, Countries of different economic levels, countries of different regions are not contributing at the same rate and obviously, um, some of the highest emitting emitting regions, just it's a really disproportionate value that they're emitting. Emissions are also increasing across all sectors and we're seeing that in in urban regions, they are increasingly responsible for these emissions. And this kind of gives a picture of, of what the first relative contributions are. So energy supply, electricity, and heat is, is the leader. And then we have industry, the agriculture, forest, and land use sector, transport, and lastly, buildings as kind of the main contributors here. Um, obviously, as, as we all know, energy transition is going to be a huge in mitigation, and we simply will not be able to limit to two degrees Celsius above historical temperatures without rapid reductions in the energy system. Luckily, we're seeing deployment that exceeded expectations, and we're seeing costs of these technologies continuing to plummet, and especially in the last decade, some really substantial figures there of 85% for solar and 55% for wind, but still, this is only 10% of our combined market share at this time, and the expectation by 2050 would be that low carbon electricity would be 100% of our markets. Um, this image kind of shows in blue, we have the 5th and 95th percent of, percentiles of um, cost for these different uh, energy generation types, photovoltaic, solar, onshore wind, offshore wind, and batteries. And um, those are in $20, $20 per megawatt hour or kilowatt hour of battery storage capacity. And the gray bar across the bottom is uh, the cost of gas and um So you can see that as we're approaching 2020, these costs are comparable,
2: if not lower than the fossil fuel costs. So good news there. Um, But if,
8: and and you can see a corresponding increase of course in deployment and an adoption we're seeing as those prices plummet, adoption is really increasing. So also pretty straightforward there. Um, Another finding from the report is that we will need to remove emissions um, to compensate for those residual or hard to, amate, hard to abate emissions um, from sectors where it's just gonna be really, really hard to decarbonize. And this can be done in several ways. There's biological sequestration of carbon through plants and soil organisms. There's geochemical and chemical processes available. So some of this is tech, some of this is natural uh, carbon removal but obviously the maturity levels and the impacts and the co-benefits that each of these present. And just as, as Ken alluded to at his public comment earlier, the technical feasibility of these is all you know different depending on the type. So lots to see how this unfolds here. Um, forests and farms and all of our natural ecosystems, blue carbon as well, definitely can play a significant role, but the report really emphasizes that this cannot make up for delays in other sectors. So it's just not going to be an option to just plant a lot more trees and call it a day as we (laughs) probably all suspected already. Um, More good news. um, We already have seen reductions in emissions um, that would have otherwise occurred because of the policies that have already been enacted. But as Peck alluded as well, our current pledges are falling short. So the national commitments that countries are making are not going to be enough to keep us to 1.5C and even to get to two, that's gonna require some, some heavy lifting. And then also as Peck alluded, the policies themselves that are enacted right now are not even living up to the standards of the commitment. So we're, we're falling short in two different ways here. So it's really needing to pick up on our mitigation. Another um, kind of highlight finding was that there is no more room for unabated fossil fuel generation. In other words, if you don't have carbon capture on your fossil fuel, we're going to overshoot, Um, there there is no more room in the carbon budget for increasing um, investment in this type of infrastructure because of the way it will lock us into higher emissions for decades to come. And of course, since this report has been released, we have already seen um, new fossil fuel tech uh, applications and and things getting started. So this is (laughs) not necessarily being heard globally. Um. In connection to Ann Arbor and the opportunities we have here, I'd like to highlight that urban areas do have really unique opportunities um, to address climate mitigation. And the main three ways that the report highlights is through reducing or changing the ways we consume materials and energy, through electrification and through enhancing the carbon uptake and storage in the city itself. Um, But this is not limited to our direct emissions and, and it's really necessary to think outside of our boundaries. So, uh, you know, we also have to consider our indirect um, emissions across the supply chain and the cascading effects that that would have if we were able to reduce some of our urban consumption or energy demand as well. Um, Another kind of new thing in this report, um, and I think it's exciting in some ways as well, is a focus on or an emphasis on demand focused intervention. So this is not something that had been discussed in in such depth before, um, but this is really, you know, just thinking about the ways that um, we can reduce some of the energy or material demand in the first place. Um, Some of the ways in urban areas this could be accomplished is, you know, changing our density or our land use mix or increasing inter and intra-city public transit options and making a more supportive environment for active transport. And it's definitely not only a big opportunity in terms of how much, um, how, how many emissions or how much we could avoid emitting, but also how it can enhance quality of life for urban dwellers, um, especially in, in regions um, where there may be more um, unplanned settlements and all sorts of things. And just the ways that urban development and energy emissions reduction can be synergistic. Um, The other big high level finding is that current funding really is falling short. Um, We really need funding to increase by three to six times overall. Um, And currently the focus is overwhelmingly on mitigation, not adaptation. And yet we know we're already seeing the effects of climate change, especially in cities and I mean, all over the world Um, specifically, you know, energy efficiency investments need to increase by two to seven times transport by a factor of seven to eight, electricity by a factor of two to five, and land sector and natural climate solutions actually need to increase the most by 10 to 29. So, those are really underinvested in um, as well at this time. So, just wanted to really briefly, as well, do a couple deep dives into three little topics. So, one is the social or demand side measures. Um, you know, again, so, and for the first time, this report really emphasized that individual choices can add up. So, you know, we have the example of individual mobility as one, as one option that could be changed. Um, changing to walking, cycling, or using electric vehicles could save two tons of CO2 equivalent per person per year. Um, for a U.S. resident, that's about one-eighth of our Um, total emissions, and for the rest of the world, for the average, that's about half of their total emissions annually, so a big deal there. But, you know, of course, the the really important caveat there is that the larger social, political, and cultural context is what sets the stage for that, right? This is not something that can just be on the individual to do on their own. Cities provide a lot of opportunities to to create this um, enabling environment, and we know that we need both the motivation and the capacity to undertake these changes, um, another cool finding is that, or I mean, it's kind of obvious, but that, you know, a lot of these things start off with pilot experiments or just kind of, you know, spread socially um, and naturally, like wildfire. Um, social equity reinforces our capacity and motivation to be able to undertake a lot of these changes, right? So equitable societies are going to be able to do more. Um, and yeah, just just really emphasizing that the structural environment that you're in and, and the ways that um, that has an important on whether or not people are able to undertake some of those individual choices or um, to reduce their emissions. Um, The second little deep dive we can do real quick is into energy systems more broadly. So we know that there are a lot of different supply options available to reduce emissions. Um, Just like with our demand side measures, we need that enabling environment and we need better integration into the grid to actually deploy these. there's going to create opportunities. Of course, there will be winners and losers, like in everything. Um, but it's also clear that the economic outcomes of these transitions could actually be superior to, if not at least on par with, um, those of the traditional fossil fuel infrastructure. Uh,
2: you know, another
8: kind of important question is will these new energy systems be vulnerable themselves to climate change? And we, the report finds that climate change will indeed affect our local low carbon energy systems, but in kind of uncertain ways. And also, you know, kind of depending on the sector or the type of energy. So there's more likely to be disruptions in perhaps hydropower or bioenergy. And it seems that wind and solar resources will really not be compromised in most instances as well. So um, important to think about, but we also know as we saw last winter in Texas that, you know fossil fuel grids are also vulnerable to the effects of climate change. Um, Okay, the last kind of deep dive is into just our urban areas of themselves. So urban areas are rapidly expanding as global population grows. Um, People are just increasingly moving to urban areas. And we know that um, as we continue to build this infrastructure out, it can also lock us into high emitting systems um, for decades to come, or it could kind of do the opposite. but another thing that's really clear in this report is because of the you know, intensity and frequency of these climate events that we're seeing, we really urgently need to integrate both mitigation to avoid and adaptation to adjust to climate change and withstand its effects. And again, this is just another place where there can be synergies between you know, emissions reductions and, and human well being and even economic benefits. So, a lot of opportunities there, um, but it is also a really big challenge. Um, another comment on the urban piece, um, compact and resource-efficient urban growth and and kind of co-location of jobs and, and houses, um, mixed land use, creating, again, an environment that supports active transit, um, all of these things could reduce, um, GHG emissions in cities by a considerable amount compared to business as usual. And just like in AR5, the previous report, there's, um, evidence that suggests that population density helps to reduce emissions, especially when it comes to commuting. But again, there's context, there's, you know, broader social trends. What are your, your socioeconomic status and what are your lifestyle preferences? And all of this is going to play a role as well in determining the extent to which that's true for people. And I guess I'll just kind of end on, on, on a happy and Ann Arbor centric note, which is that green spaces can also play a role in urban uh, energy mitigation. So um, We know that they can have cooling effects that reduce the direct energy demand and they can help to um, mitigate water use or or reduce um, stormwater runoff and and help with water treatment costs. So lots of ways that having these kind of uh, integrated green, blue and gray infrastructures in cities can can reduce our costs, make our cities more resilient um, and also have those other numerous health and co-benefits. you um, can talk or, or go through any of that and I'll stop sharing my screen and there's links to the report, all the reports that we
2: referenced at the end as well. So thanks everyone. Thank you very much. Um, I, I especially want to recognize
3: Edie. I know she put a lot of effort into um, everything that she's done leading up to this presentation, not just the presentation itself, but all the work that she's done. Um, with regards to the IPCC report. So um, do people have comments or questions, concerns, uh, hope, despair, whatever feelings they want to (laughs) share?
2: It's
13: really remarkable.
2: Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go
13: I just want to say it's really remarkable that we have the solutions in hand to solve the problem and the costs are not they're less than the costs of letting climate change go unchecked. This is really a problem with uh, the fossil fuel industry and their power, I think. Um, But it's really great that in Michigan, we have numerous uh, communities and we have the state really moving forward on climate change. And I think that'll make a big difference if we can show in a a heartland uh, purple state that we can do this. It maybe will convince a lot of others that we can do this,
2: Commissioner Colin Garcia. Thank you. Um, thanks for presenting this, uh, Commissioner
9: Juno and Commissioner Peck. Um, it's super informative, um, and I appreciate the hope that you're presenting here. Um, my just I just have a comment, and it has to do with the um, the willingness of of utilities to really um you know they there's so much that rides on you know the the velocity of their responses to you know transition to electrification um you know not just at a at a single property level but just you know at it within a small region or a, di- a distribution area um, and uh, I'm just hoping that that we can, we can create something for um, impacting this sooner rather than
2: later. Thanks. member Briggs.
1: Thanks. Um, I appreciate the sort of summary of this. It's good to good to hear. It's uh, concise. Um, and I guess it's reassuring to know that in, in some ways in a policy level that a lot of our policies in the city of ann arbor are pointing us in the right direction i mean we have a lot of issues with funding and different things like that i guess something that just dawned on me that just is relevant for this group um which you may or may not know um i think we are likely to be updating our comprehensive land use plan um starting this coming year and certainly the um the elements in it all um currently direct us towards um uh mixed use be- are pointing in the direction mixed-use development, many and increased density in some areas, but um, there's also some some conflict between different elements of our of our land use um, plans and a need for an update. So, just wanted to give a heads up to folks here and also folks who are listening to kind of the um, focus that that's coming um, down the pipeline, and there's going to be a need to be really thinking about um, ensuring that next plan is aligned, land use plan is really aligned with our our climate action goals. Um, And so maybe thinking about how OSI will help to to promote that as well.
2: Other comments and questions? There's little doubt in Michigan the bad actor
13: is DTE. you know, and uh, you can talk about Line Five and Enbridge and stuff, but it's really DTE, and I and I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there about the utilities. Um, they're they're a big part of the problem, and it would be wonderful to think of a way to get them to relent and be an agent of change. But the problem with DTE, as far as I can tell, is they're really uh, plugged in. You know, they get a lot of money out of gas, natural gas. And they want to perpetuate that as long as they possibly can. It would also be, you know, if you look at the uh, governor's uh, healthy uh, climate plan, she wants to get coal phased out faster than DTE is presently doing it, I think. Um, and we gotta, we got to get out of those coal plants
2: faster than DTA wants to. And I don't know what we can do about that. A, a quick comment
3: to that. Uh, I don't know if how many of you saw this. Um, a, a group in Detroit, it actually is a group that is established to promote um, women in management ranks and uh, businesses in Michigan, in Southeastern Michigan, um, hosted, co-hosted an event um, with Catherine Hayhoe and with the chairman and president of DTE hailing him as a uh, person who's making, pushing DTE to make great progress on climate action. I actually wrote the president of Nature Conservancy here in Michigan and she called me and we talked for about a half an hour. But it's, um, yeah, as as we all know, (laughs) vested interests, whether it's fossil fuel or whatever is really problematic in in making this transition. I had two quick questions I'm wondering if you would be able to comment on. What I'm hearing, reading, seeing is that the likely path that we're on is gonna have us land somewhere between around 2.2 and 2.9 C, does that sound right?
2: It's hard to say.
13: But yeah, I mean, if uh, things persist somewhere, you know, up to three degrees, I would say. Yeah, I mean, is quite reasonable. Uh, I mean, if I you see. think about
3: what what the political situation is in the United States and the likelihood of getting some kind of climate policy in place that was included in Build Back Better, and what might happen in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty four, I mean, that's that's really.
2: Pretty gloomy for me. Um. Yeah, and I think that's why we really
13: have to focus more. I mean, I you know I, I share your gloom, uh, your your uh, despair there, but I also think if we could really focus on state level action in our state, you know, I think we have more to offer than any other state outside maybe of California in terms of showing the path forward. Um, California can do it because they have such a a great political majority and they've got such a good head start and they're so big. But we really need to demonstrate that states like ours, these really, you know, essentially purple states, um, can do the job as well and get a better economy out of it. And Michigan has a really good advantage in the sense that mobility is our primary industry. And that, you know, it could really could take off like a, a whole bunch of Teslas if it's done right, um, in the sense that these cars will be marketable, uh, will be will sold all around the world. And what worries me the most is that we'll go so slow that China, you know, who's making a lot of electric vehicles now, will capture those markets. You know, anyone who's traveled in Africa, for example, knows it's it's Japanese. Cars, you know, and um, we need to get our electrified mobility uh, into the marketplace and at an affordable price point, so everybody can start to electrify really quickly. And that will, you know, that's a big win for us. And there, obviously, we have to have renewable energy powering them. Uh, so that's the second thing we have to do. Um, and those are both pretty easy to do now at uh, a really affordable cost relative to fossil fuels. Um so, you know, there's a real chance for us um, to make that move. And let's see if we can do it. And I think that's so we just need to mobilize somehow in Michigan. You know, if we try and think about the national problem too much, you know, we end up sort of staring at headlamps or headlights and not getting enough done. The states that are in the climate alliance, US Climate Alliance, have more than half the population of the country and more than half the GDP. So, you know, we can, we can, we gotta really figure out how to keep those projects going when you end up with a uh, non-democratic governor, say. You know, so that's a, to me, that's the number one thing to figure out. And if we can figure it out in Michigan, again, it's not just that we set an example, but we also maybe could figure out, you know, the secret sauce that gets, introduces bipartisanship in climate action. You know, people start saying, Jesus, that's the only way to really have a strong economy in the future. And it's the only way to attract talent for industry. You know, Um, and we don't want the old-fashioned industry. We want the new industry, the things that, you know, we want Amazon. You know, we want those kinds of places in Michigan. Uh, And this could be a way to to, uh, get that because their employees will want to be here where the cost of living is affordable, unlike the east and west coast, where um, beautiful rec- recreation is nearby, lots of water, and um, but what we have to solve are things like
2: DTE. Thanks. And I think, as everybody
3: points out, every tenth of a degree makes a difference, so we shouldn't be giving up. Commissioner George?
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, um, and thank you, uh, Jonathan and Edie for the presentation, very informative. Um, yeah, I want to make a couple of quick points here um, on my last meeting uh, here, uh, and I appreciate my time here on the Energy Commission, uh, but, uh, you know, firstly, I, I agree, you know, we need to be looking at uh, whatever ways we can incentivize a quicker transition uh, around energy, I do hope those companies have greater social responsibility to their workers and to their local communities than some of the companies mentioned there. Um given their poor track record with workers, uh both Amazon and Tesla there. Um and it just as a reminder uh, for folks that uh a lot of those jobs uh in the incumbent industries do pay their workers at a much higher rate than similar work in renewables do. So it is important that a just transition does occur and that uh, we do not have a repeat of the deindustrialization that largely happened in this country uh, and that hollowed out the middle class. Um, So just as a reminder on that, as uh, that conversation moves forward uh, as I depart the commission. Uh, But I would say of equal value, uh, I think it's very important. And I've I've sensed this thread throughout this whole meeting of this climate defeatism uh, that uh, I think is very important that we avoid falling into. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Mr. Chairman, you mentioned just a second ago that every single tenth of a degree does matter. I remember uh, several uh, years ago now, uh, four or five years ago, uh, doing my uh, senior uh, project on uh, climate change and the uh, projections. And I remember the high end of the uh, IPCC's projections uh, being, you know, four and a half degrees or five degrees. Uh, and now we're talking three degrees, you know, as a, uh, you know three and a half is more of a possible higher end. And I think that it is important that we remember that the progress that has been made there has been substantial. And yes, we have a lot of work left to do, but it is important to recognize the progress that has been made so that we can continue to have hope and have the intent and the energy to continue to do the good work. Because uh, as it will get harder and the work will be more trying and so forth. But it is important that we remain hopeful and optimistic and realize that every 10th degree, as you just said, does matter. And that uh, the, the worst case scenarios that were discussed 10 or 20 years ago largely seem hopefully off the table, uh, the way that things are moving. So just I wanted to end on a hopeful note.
2: Thanks, we're gonna have you come back uh, and offer a public comment every so often and give us a good pep talk. Any other comments? Okay, good.
3: So, uh, next point on the agenda is officer elections and liaison to the environmental commission. So we have two officers, one is chair and the other is vice chair. And, um, we also have to, um, elect a liaison to the um, environmental commission. Those all take effect, um, essentially after this meeting, but effectively you know, next month's meeting. So, um, first of all, uh, like to open it up for nominations for chair of the commission.
2: Commissioner Calvin Garcia. As I nominate John Mursky, you for chair, the energy commission are there. Is there a second, and then
3: we'll ask for other nominations. Second, second. From, from Commissioner Cumber and Commissioner Peck. Uh, any other nominations,
2: my folks? I make this a good, good competition here.
13: <laughs> we like you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you now you're you put a lot of time into it. You, I do indeed. That's really invaluable. I mean. Know what you're doing.
2: Okay. Um, so, all those
3: in favor of John Mersky, me being uh, chair for another one year term, uh, please say aye
2: and raise your hand. Aye. aye. Okay.
3: That looks unanimous, other than me, and I'll abstain. So, uh, but I accept that. Uh, outcome and I, I appreciate the vote of confidence. Um, so, moving on to vice
2: chair, uh, can I get a nomination for uh, vice chair? I nominate Commissioner Colvin Garcia as vice chair. And I'll second that. Do we have any other nominations? Seeing none,
3: um, all those in favor of Commissioner Calvin Garcia as vice chair, please raise your hand and say aye. Aye.
2: aye. aye. That looks also unanimous. Carleen, congratulations. I look forward to being my partner going forward. Thanks. And then uh,
3: liaison to the environmental commission. Um, Edie, it's my understanding um, that um, you're going to step down from that and uh, don't want to serve again, or are you open to being nominated again?
2: I'm open to being nominated again, but I'm um, also interested to see if anybody else is interested. So do we have um, anybody else that's
3: interested? um, in serving on the environmental commission, or do we put it this way? Um, do I have a nomination for the environmental commission liaison?
2: I nominate commissioner Juno to continue to serve as the environmental liaison. And I'll second it. Seconds. So, um, commissioner McCumber seconded by commissioner Peck and commissioner George, all those in favor. Say, I, uh, I, again, you have a unanimous vote. So it looks like, um,
3: you have the same slate of people representing you going forward in the next year. Thanks very much.
13: The dream team. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Good thing. We're not playing basketball. At least I'll speak for myself. <laughs> okay. So, um, we might actually beat 8.30 here. Uh, report from OSI and news from commissioners.
2: Yeah, I'll share. Uh, I can
4: circulate after this. We just sent out a newsletter yesterday, so that's the easiest way to get the update for all the things that are happening. So I'll make sure everyone has access to that. And if you haven't received it, it's because you are not subscribed to the sustainability list over at the City of Ann Arbor. And we should probably fix that, uh, but I will make sure you will have it. Uh, a few kind of just housekeeping things I wanted to share. Our uh, Zoom accounts are all being updated for security purposes, yay. Uh, so you will have a new Zoom link that comes forward after this meeting. I wanted to get through this meeting and not confuse anyone, just to let you know. So I'm gonna delete the calendar invitations and resend them. Nothing tragic is happening. It's just with the Zoom at new Zoom link. And then uh, lastly, I wanted to share as we're closing out the fiscal year, which feels impossible that July 1 is right around the corner, but it is, uh, we have, some funding, we have a little bit of funding left in the Sustaining Ann Arbor Together grant program. And so we're encouraging people, if you know of a project uh, that wants to move forward, it takes about six weeks to get through all of the paperwork and the review process, but the application is really, really simple. And so it should just take an hour or so for someone to apply for the funding. Then we just have to go through our internal uh, processes to make sure we do diligence on the grant. So uh, please let any organizations that you know, uh, that might be interested know that we have some funding available it's up to ten thousand dollars to do something in the public space so it can't be on private property um if that property is not open to everyone but it can be anything in the sustainability landscape so pretty creative opportunity um uh, lots of really good things there but, but help us we really appreciate if you could help us get the word out uh and i think i think for just sake of time Time. I'll end by saying we're getting close to 2,000 comments on the SEU, uh, so please do continue to let your networks know that we're seeking as much feedback as possible, and that closes June 30th. And then the last thing is save save the date, y'all. June uh, 5th through 11th is a two zero week, and it is shaping up to be glorious. I am really excited about all of the things that are coming from. Uh, a dance party for the earth that we're happening on that's happening on main street. We're working with earth and ales in Traverse city, and they're doing a climate brew, which tastes like crap. They tasted it yesterday and said it tastes like funk. Uh, and that's intentional so that it mirrors what climate change is going to do to beer in the, in our region. We have a local farm to table dinner that's taking place on Tuesday night. There's just all kinds of really fun and interactive ways to engage. So I hope we see you
2: and your neighbors out around town June 5th through 11th. Thanks,
3: You. I know a lot of people don't like the taste of any beer, so hopefully this, the taste of this beer is the same as the beer that doesn't appeal to other people, but appeals to the rest of us.
4: That would, that would not work if you felt like this tastes great.
2: And you be like, ooh.
3: Very good. Uh, updates from commissioners. Oh, I do have one question, Missy, if you may. What's um, the status of uh, all the different acronyms H e s t o m h e head head um, heard. Oh. what the time of market wh- where 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 does that stand? Yeah,
4: is it just head or were there others that you wanted to know about too?
3: Just 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 okay. that.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Okay, home energy disc uh, home energy audit disclosure. Energy right? audit disclosure. Nope, head heard home energy rating disclosure. That's what it is now. It has changed, hence the acronym soup of this. Uh, we are, uh, we're, we're making really good progress on that. So we've got fabulous feedback from legal on uh, the kind of tweaks that we need to go through. Zach's been working with some realtors to really test that process, uh, make sure that we we kind of have the support. And I imagine you'll see it soon. We, we were focusing our outreach at the time on green rental housing, just because of kind of uh, saturation, if you will, from the public but
2: we're we're really close. That's kind of on its heels. Great question. Yeah, you'll see it, I would imagine, sometime in the next few months. months. Uh, Updates from commissioners, just news in general, um, newsworthy items, do you have anything to share? Um, And then also work group updates, Um, any update? I guess, um, Carleen, that would be you, if anyone?
9: i do have a very quick update uh, of happenings with the transportation electrification committee uh the still the ongoing update to the electric vehicle readiness ordinance um the amendments are uh, still in being made and and reviewed and modified this is actually all being done inside of uh, amendments to the city's overall parking standards which are going to be significant and I'm not going to go into them at this time. Um, I, um, It's fairly complicated and I'm probably not the best person to speak to it but inside of that are, are changes to the EV readiness ordinance and to basically uh, requirements for uh, properties to have uh, the necessary electrical infrastructure to support EV charging. Um, so the next the current adoration is going to be being presented to the planning commission um, later this month. The other update is about uh, the current project that we're the the transportation electrification committee is working on. um, And that's basically, we are creating the electric vehicle charging chapter for the city standard
2: specifications and our work is is still in progress. Any... Comments from anyone else? Okay,
3: good. We are back to public input. So, again, this is an opportunity for members of the public to speak for up to three minutes. If you are watching on CTN, please call 888 788 0099 or 877 853 five, two, four, seven, and enter meeting ID nine, three, seven, six, seven, five, one, six, eight, one, nine. This information is also displayed on the meeting agenda and the video feed city staff will select callers that have raised their hands one by one using the last three digits of your phone number. And in order to electronically raise your hand, to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone and you will hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area, mute any background noises and finally state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. All
2: are ending in five, three, four.
0: Good evening. This is Tom Stahlberg calling from 1202 Traver Street in Lower Town in Ann Arbor. Uh, I am a landlord and participated in the Green Rental Housing Task Force. Uh, so I want to throw a couple thoughts out there. Uh, there were some good comments made about that. I really look forward to the results of the drive run to see, you know, anything you put down on paper, you got to test it out and see how it's working. And there's always going to be some things that shake out after that. So I'm looking forward to the results of that Um, in terms of the comments about uh, this being mandatory and the ability for maybe carrot versus sticks. uh, It is really interesting. This, this is going to be mandatory. We, we do not have a right to rent our, our property out. We have to meet the housing code uh, and every two and a half years, we have to get a new certificate of compliance. Uh, Otherwise we cannot rent that property out. Um, So there's, that's good in terms of uh, we're going to have to perform. We're going to, it's definitely going to make us work. Uh, I do want to throw out a couple things just for thought. Uh, right now there are labor issues um, uh, and this works on both sides. The city is behind on inspecting properties because of again, labor shortage. Uh, and for us, uh, I'm a relatively small landlord. My company manages uh, less than 20, uh, buildings and some duplexes. So total units is maybe uh, a couple dozen. Um, and there's just two of us, we're a small company. Um, so we have to hire the labor. So I know right now it's hard for us to get labor when we wanna do something and, and nobody's gonna be surprised to hear that. Uh, I don't want sympathy, <laughs> I'm not whining, I'm running a business, it's my job to figure it out. It's my job to comply with the rules. Um, that's business. Uh But, just from a practical standpoint, uh we are looking at uh, an interesting labor market let 's say that so I hope that that 's uh factored in when people figure out uh you know what the final rules are going to be that it is going to be mandatory uh Just to throw something out there as an example, we want to upgrade a gas dryer to an electric dryer well we got to hire an electrician to do the electrical work um if we're upgrading say to uh from gas water heaters to electric water heaters, we might need to update the panel or at least put in a, a new sub panel. Uh so just the backlog on getting an electrician to do that. Uh so I'm not again not seconds. complaining. I'm just uh just putting some practicalities out there. Uh I think it should be mandatory. I think we need that push to make sure we get there. Uh but I hope that there's some leniency if it's not looking like uh, that, we're, uh, everybody's able to make it. It's one thing to say that we should, should do it and it's mandatory to do it, but uh, the, the penalty for us of not making that score is we don't get to rent our house out at all. So it's an all or nothing, a little tough on the penalty side. So maybe that could be looked at. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Thank,
3: thank you for your
2: insights. Caller ending in 134. Ken Garber,
6: come on in. Thank you, Dr. Stultz and Chair Mirsky, Ken Garber again. I'm calling with a local building electrification update. Last Thursday, City Council unanimously approved a 12-year tax abatement for the proposed Sartorius Research Industrial Building off Ellsworth Road. This is a good project in many ways, but it's going to burn gas for heat. Tartorius modeled its building energy use intensity at 250 kilobtus per square foot per year. From that, one can calculate greenhouse gas emissions, which I calculate come to 4,160 metric tons CO2 equivalent emissions annually from burning natural gas. For perspective, the city's 3.2 megawatt solar at city facilities initiative, which will cost the city $6.6 million, will save 2,705 metric tons from being emitted. And the two-plus megawatts installed so far through Solarize will save another 1,900 metric tons. That's 4,600 tons annual uh, emission savings total. So at 4,160 tons, the Sartorius emissions, this one building will almost completely wipe out the emissions gains from solar at city facilities and Solarize combined. So faster than we're putting up solar panels, we're destroying our gains by approving gas-burning buildings. Sartorius says it had to go with gas because of the building type, Um, and it is harder to do, but I believe in the end it was a choice. The Planning Commission just approved two more projects with gas, the Maple Cove 2 apartments at Miller and Maple, and condos at 212 Miller. The process has become ritualized. A commissioner asks the developer to go all electric or at least install induction cooktops. The developer says maybe they'll think about it. Staff states that the project complies with all laws and ordinances, and it's then approved. This is not Planning Commission's fault. We have no policy that addresses gas and new construction. The IECC Zero Code Appendix, even if it passes in Michigan, won't go into effect for at least two years, doesn't exclude gas, and doesn't apply to low-rise residential. We badly need more housing in Ann Arbor, but it has to be all electric. Otherwise, we're locking in greenhouse gas emissions for the rest of the century. These buildings make initiatives like EV charging, green rental housing, energy concierge, the SEU, Solarize, etc. Feel like exercises in futility. Next up is the village, 564 homes, townhomes, and apartments on 59 acres off DuVerin Road. If the village goes with gas, I calculate it will generate 7,300 metric tons CO2 equivalent emissions a year. I don't think it's overstating things to say this would be fatal to our 820 goals. The city should hold the line and insist the village put in heat pumps, not furnaces. This project needs rezoning, which is discretionary that means the city has leverage will it use that leverage tune in when this project hits planning commission and then city
2: council thanks thank you
3: for your comments and i encourage you to keep on providing them and holding us holding our feet to the fire i I might also just mention if i may um we're building a lot of tall buildings in building in, in ann arbor there's all you need to do is go down around campus and go downtown and all those buildings that we're building, including of Housing Commission buildings are using concrete and structural steel, and those have very high embodied energy. And so each and every one of these decisions are decisions that are locking us in to emissions um, for many, many years. Um, and even if a building is all electric uh, and is powered by renewable energy, the emissions in these tall buildings are going to the embodied uh, emissions in these buildings is going to be greater than the operational emissions over the next twenty years. So these are the the critical twenty years that we keep on talking about, and um, one by one we are stuck into making decisions that are really making it more and more difficult for us to meet our A 20 zero targets. So thank you allow, thank you for allowing me that editorial comment. Um, also a public comment, I guess you could say, uh, that takes us to the last point on our agenda, which is items for the next agenda. And our next meeting is on June 14th, I believe it is. And, um, Missy and Carlene, I don't think we have a particularly packed agenda. In fact, I'm not even sure if we have anything other than maybe some updates on some of the things that we've been talking about, possibly. Um, So we are wide open. Uh, We will certainly missy Carlene and I will look at the list of topics that we established in January and uh, see if we can uh, arrange for some of those to be presented or discussed. Um, but we are certainly uh, appreciative of any ideas or suggestions any of you have. So please raise them now, um, or if not, then get with Missy, Carlene, and me after the meeting anytime. And preferably, I should say, sooner rather than later, um, so that we can get people on board and get their presentation ready and um, be be ready and willing to go um, a month from now. Any, anybody have any particular guidance for us or any suggestions on agenda items? Well, I'm going to assign you all homework then to scratch your heads and see if you can come up with something and um, let us know.
2: Okay, so that is it.
3: Um, it is eight nineteen p.m. And um, as chair, I declare this meeting adjourned. Thank you for your time this evening and thank you for your service again, Um, Robert in uh, particular. I guess you're the only one that's present tonight. We thank you very much again and best of luck.